This is my comeback. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to the Comeback. What's up, y'all? It's good to be back. It is good to have a platform to be able to talk about controversial subjects, especially as it relates to recovery. And that subject that we are going to unpack today is the subject of God, a.k.a. higher power. And this becomes so controversial, especially in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, and the other hundreds of 12-step programs. And so, just in case you don't have framework for this, there is a systematic approach to recovery that I think is the best, and it's called the 12 Steps. And in Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and all these other 12-step types of, of groups that you've got to be able to use this systematic approach, step one, just so that you, you, you've got the background and the context to be able to understand, it is, and we'll use Alcoholics Anonymous, that we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Okay, and so what step one is, is that it's getting somebody to admit that alcohol or drugs or whatever it is has kicked their tail and they do not contain the power from within to be able to beat it. For example, it's, it's not a matter of intellect. You know, it's, you, you can't outsmart alcoholism. You can't outsmart drug addiction. Doesn't matter if you've got the greatest mind, you've got a PhD and whatever, and you're this, this, you know, the most brilliant mind on planet earth. If you have alcoholism or addiction, you can't outthink it. It's not saying, okay, well, alcohol beat me. So if I add Xanax to the equation, you know, then I finally come up, I I finally came up with a concoction that is going to allow me to have a manageable life while I stay intoxicated. Hopefully that makes sense to you. Okay. So that's Step one, okay? And then once somebody has come to the realization that they can no longer manage their alcoholism or their addiction, then they come to step two. And this is kind of this transition step. And it says that you came to believe that a power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity, implying that you were insane and now you need some type of outside force to be able to make you Sane, okay? And I've got a little grace here for this step, and I'm just saying, hey, you know, you're coming out of this hard time of your life. You obviously, more than likely, have not been doing anything godly, and now you're looking for something that can restore you to sanity. And then step three, which is a, a huge one, is that you made a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understood Him, or you understand Him, okay? Now, this is where... I, that I personally have a real issue with higher power. And then what it does, it leaves people the room to just make up whatever they want. Just like it's Mr. Potato Head. You're on the front end. And so, and I get where people are coming from. They're saying, hey, it's a little too soon for the Jesus thing because people don't have the right understanding of God or maybe people in their lives and their childhood manipulated them and said, hey, if you do this, then Jesus is going to strike you down or whatever. And they have all of these misplaced fears and these misunderstandings about who God is. And they think God is this big angel 
angry, cosmic killjoy up in the sky, and he's got this nasty-looking white beard, and he's got a hammer or some type of, or a lightning bolt, and he is just waiting for you to have a little bit of fun, and he is going to shut it down. <laughs> you better not have any fun because God don't like it. And and so, you know, if, if somebody's in that mindset, then, you know, okay, you know, like, let, let's deal with that, but I still don't think that it's okay to suggest to somebody that it's okay to pick a doorknob or a pair of tennis shoes or some frying pan up in the sky to be your higher power. I think that's ridiculous, and I'm sorry, and you can bring me AA guru, NA guru, whatever, you know, and I, and I know that if we don't line up on the, on the authority of Scripture, even though the 12 steps were ripped off from Scripture, but anyway, nobody wants talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about the rest of the serenity prayer. They quoted all the meetings and stuff like that. Nobody wants to talk, but whatever. You know what I'm saying? We part company right there and you've got to come from the place of the inerrancy of scripture. And so if we don't have the right platform to be able, or we don't have the the, the right starting place to be able to argue, then we're always going to be able to, then we're always not going to be able to land on the fact that you know, God is Jesus and, you know, and you can have all of these other ideas and people, that's why people, they want to make this hodgepodge of, 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 you know, different things. You know, I like a little bit of Buddha. I like a little bit of this Hindu stuff. You know, I like a few of the teachings of Jesus. And then I also like, uh, you know, whatever, you know, I, I, I like this new age, something that I'm going to add to it. And then now I love the mercy and the grace and the love and all the mushy gushy, but this judgment and this end times and this, all this other stuff that's, that that's in the Bible. I don't like that. So I'm going to push that out. And now I have created this God that I like and that I want to get sober with. And he's cool with me doing, you know, all these, these other things that, you know, might possibly be immoral but you've made him up, so there's no real standard there, okay? I, I just honestly have a problem with that, okay? I love the idea of somebody getting clean, but I also run in is that I, I also believe that you can trade one lie for another, and though you stay clean for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, that you actually missed God. You missed the real God, okay? I think that's real, because at the end of the day, you know, it's just that that, you know, you know, who, who, who is Jesus? Was he just this great moral teacher, kind of like Buddha, kind of like, you know, just um, Muhammad? You know, they're all kind of in the same, same type of group, and there's multiple paths to heaven. Well, let, let me just tell you, and I'll borrow now from C.S. Lewis out of Mere Christianity. There's only three things that you can do with Jesus. He is either a liar. The guy went around saying that he was God. Okay, let me just tell you right now, if you ever hear the podcast that comes out on the comeback where I'm talking about that I'm God and the only way to the Father is through Trey, that's the day that you put a straight jacket on me. That's the day that you come up here to this studio and you rip this microphone out of the wall and you put it in the trash can and you put me in a white straight jacket and carry me off to the padded room and give me a shot of Thorazine. That is what happens on the day that I say something like that, okay? So Jesus went around making these claims, okay? So you can't put him in in the group of he's just a great moral teacher. He's just a good old guy. The dude said he was God. There's no way to come to the Father 
other except through me, okay? So when, when somebody says something like that, there's only three things you can do with them. They're either a liar, they've tricked us all, and that Sunday morning is the biggest scam on planet Earth, or in fact that he was a lunatic and needed to be in the padded room with the Thorazine, or he was Lord, okay? So I just want you to understand there's nothing but those three things that you can do with Jesus. It's the only thing. And you're saying, well, Trey, you know, that's good. I'm glad you came to that by faith. There's also so much knowledge. I mean, I think there were 333 prophecies that were prophesying the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that were written thousands of years before he ever came on the scene. They did a study on this and said, what if only eight of these were true? Just only eight, not 333. And so what I mean, like, so for example, right now, you guys can't see me, but I'm in a green shirt and I'm wearing blue jeans and I have on brown shoes, okay? If somebody five years ago said, hey, there's going to be a there's going to be a guy in Decula, Georgia, at a at a outpatient treatment center doing a podcast, and he's going to wear a green polo shirt, and he's going to wear blue jeans, and he's going to wear brown shoes. And he said that, and he said that whatever day that it was going to happen on, and, and you guys found out that he actually got three of those right. Let me tell you, he would be on every major news outlet, and you would think he's the next you know, whoever. I mean, he would just be blowing everybody's minds. He's the next Nostradamus or whatever. And, and, and that's how you would handle that guy. 333 prophecies about Jesus. They did the study on eight and they said, let me just tell you the probability of eight of those becoming true is that if you took the entire state of Texas, filled it two feet high in silver dollars, and you put somebody in, in the state of Texas and said, hey bud, you have one chance to take your hand and to reach down into the state of the state of Texas, filled two feet high in silver dollars. I've got one silver dollar that I've especially marked, and that, that that has a certain mark on it. And you get one chance to put your hand into the state of Texas and pull it out. Okay, so just. For, you know, for example, it's probably an eight-hour drive or nine-hour drive from San Antonio to El Paso. I mean, it's just, it's outrageous how big Texas is. And to think, and just the absurdity of having somebody to, to get one shot to pull out the silver dollar, it, it, it's impossible. That's on eight. There were over 300 prophesying Jesus. Okay, I did not even intend to get into that on tonight's podcast. I got in here tonight because I want to talk about the love of the Father. I want to talk about who is this God? You know, is he mean? Do we need, you know, some crafty, you know, person with a few months clean to help the, 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 the new guy walking in the door to help them understand who God is because they can't handle the word Jesus? I don't think so, man. I really don't. I don't think so. I don't think Jesus needs, you know, his some sales guy to give a, a different version of him so that it's palatable because the person was manipulated by some overbearing, you know, crazy person early on in their childhood and, and, and needs you to come in and let them make up somebody fictitious that, that, that really has no power. I don't think they need a doorknob. And I don't think that it's okay to put somebody in that place and allow them to evolve from a doorknob, you know, to a to a lazy boy chair or whatever. I don't know what that's going to look like, you know, or if it ever evolves. I, I think I think it's wrong. I really do. I think it's wrong. And I think that we need to take a real look on, on who this God is. And because he, here's the deal. 
the the tactic of the enemy is is to to ruin the earthly version of the father okay i'm coming in i'm talking about this loving heavenly father that wants the best for you and immediately you're drawing from some experience that you happened on planet earth in your in your life in your real life so for example you know you had a a father who uh, cheated on your mom you had a father who was abusive or better yet you had a father who wasn't even there the father that abandoned that left you whenever you were one or two years old or never even showed up in your life at all and so the pastor somebody like me comes in and says hey the father loves you and he has a plan for your life and immediately you're physically cringing over the fact that how how bad that you were let down as a child or how you were abused or whatever it is and so you have a big disconnect there um case in point when when I gave my life to the Lord out in California those are those were great great years of my life I remember going to this men's bible study and um, I believe it was this that we were over this guy Greg Diamante's house on the central coast in Santa Maria California and there was an assistant warden of the California men's colony who came in and spoke. And what I remember him saying is, is that one time the California men's colony had almost 6,000 male inmates, the largest male prison population in the state of California. And for whatever reason, Hallmark came in and sold Mother's Day cards. And when they came in and sold these Mother's Day cards, they did so well on the sale of their Mother's Day cards that Hallmark and their, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming maybe their, their sales team or whatever said, this was so incredible, even at a reduced rate, we've got to come back in on Father's Day and do it again. And so we're going to come back in on Father's Day, we're going to sell these cards, and we're going to clean up just like we did on Mother's Day. And they came in, anybody want to take a guess on how many Father's Day cards that they sold to 6,000 male inmates? They sold one Father's Day card. And don't be confused that that is the enemy's tactic to come in to remove the father unit or to pervert the father within the family unit to take the father out of the family unit or to pervert his role so that now whenever the pastor comes in and says God has this incredible plan for your life he's a good father and he loves you that you can't even hear the message because of how bad that your earthly father lets you down. So what ends up happening is, is that I spend a whole lot of time at Good Landing, and, and really platforms wherever I go and speak, is to help reacquaint or to introduce people to the very first time that God is not this angry, cosmic killjoy up in the sky who hates fun, but in fact that he loves them and he loves them better even if somebody had the perfect father who did everything right and who was always present and who was always an in intentional about their time and wrote all of the very best books about how to be the best father in 2020. It doesn't matter when they realize that their heavenly father loves them more than anybody on this planet, even their biological father who was perfect or, or who, was, who was the best version of a biological father could love them. And whenever that happens and when somebody gets that revelation, it's a game changer. And it's so important. And I would rather run the risk of introducing that to somebody 
prematurely, which I don't think could happen, than to allow them to run off on 5, 10, 15 year journey thinking it's okay to create a God of their understanding. Now, I realize that God will reveal himself in different ways. And, and the way that I knew God 15 years ago when I gave my life to the Lord in 2005 is is way different than than how I understand him now. Or I should say, I don't even know if it's so much as is, is that it's it, different as much as how much history that I have with him. The things that I've walked through, the hard things, the good things, the way that I've seen him come through, all the different times where he has done things for me whenever I thought that it was impossible. I've got real history with him now and I trust him more, but, but he didn't change. You know, he wasn't a doorknob to me back in 2005 and now all of a sudden he's evolved into a father, but I do have history with him. But I think it's super important that we do our best, even at the risk of somebody rejecting it, to be able to present him how he really is and how the Bible defines him instead of something that that we want to make up. And that's what's proven to save my life. And I'm not being religious. So if you're hearing this today, and maybe you're not line for line with me theologically. Maybe you're not even a Christian. You know, maybe you don't line up with me doctrinally or you're a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I mean, what, what I'm trying to say is, is, is that I just think that it's so important that we understand who God is as a father and that we, that we need to pursue truth. That's what the Bible says about him, that I've come to, to the place in my life where I, I know that that is the, the one truth that I have bet my entire life on. And, you know, understanding how we see him and the paradigm, because sometimes people, now this is a way that I think that it could evolve because you come in and maybe you have this paradigm that God is the angry CEO or God is the angry coach or God is, you know, the mid-level manager and that, that in your mind, you know, that's how he talks to you. And, and for you to get real freedom, that there's got to be a place where you walk into the reality that he's a good father and he wants that relationship. And that's a beautiful thing to walk it out with him. I mean, that's how that I encounter him. That's who I'm talking to when I have hard things at work and I've got to make hard decisions. And I'm going through, you know, that I'm not talking to my slave master, but I am talking to my father who loves me and who cares for me. There's a verse in Galatians, some of you are familiar with it, it's Galatians 4, chapter 4, verse 6, and it says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. That term, Abba, is an endearing term, it means daddy. And he's saying, no longer do you need to be afraid of me. No longer do you need to deal with me as some faraway God, but that you can draw near to me in the same way that my children run to me every morning, every morning. It's one of my favorite times in the morning whenever I wake up and I can hear their little feet hit the floor upstairs and they start running through the house and I know that they're coming down to jump in the bed with me and there's no inhibition, there's no thinking, you know, if I come in here, you know, dad's going to drop the hammer on me. They know that they can run in there and jump on that bed and, and there's going to be a 
great time of, of, of relationship and interaction that they have with their daddy. And, and that's how it is. And that's how we should run to God is, 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 is our daddy to be able to come and just say, man, life is, life is crazy right now, but I know that you've got me. I know that you love me. I know that you have all power and that you're the one that's going to come through for me. There's a story about a little boy fishing on the bank of the Mississippi River. This little boy was about 10 years old, and he's there fishing, and nearby is this man, probably in his late 70s, early 80s, and is also fishing there on the bank of the Mississippi River, and he's trying to enjoy his retirement. And as this little boy is, and this old man are there fishing nearby, they're not together. As they're fishing, um, they look up, and here comes this boat, this river boat that's coming up the river, the Delta Queen. Some of you may know it, and it's a boat that, that comes out of Memphis and travels up the Mississippi River, and there's dinner cruises, and I think there's some type of tour. It's been many years since I was on the Delta Queen, but it does something along those lines. And as this little boy sees this boat, he puts down his fishing pole, and he begins to jump up and down the bank of the Mississippi River trying to get the attention of this boat, of this, of this large river boat. And the old man is looking on and somewhat fascinated initially. And is the boy, you know, what he would expect to do this for a few seconds and then go ahead and realize the boat's not going to stop for him and to go back fishing. And the old man is, is sitting there watching this kid and this kid is just relentless in his attempt to get the attention of this boat. And so finally the old man just kind of in a in this 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 desperate attempt to to appeal to this boy and to let him know, like, young man, this boat, people have paid money to be on that boat. They, you know, I, I love your enthusiasm, but the reality is that boat is not going to stop for you. And he's trying to communicate this to this little boy. And the little boy does not even check up. I mean, just comes off disrespectful, not even paying any attention to this old man. He's jumping up and down. He's flailing his arms, trying to get the attention of this boat. And finally, the old man says, this is useless, man. This kid is, is just like, he, he's not right and he goes back over and and the old man attempts to fish again and he's being distracted by all this noise this kid's making and this old man looks up and this boat is getting closer and closer to this child and he just thinks man this is a coincidence I mean surely this this boat is not coming over here for this kid and to this old man's utter amazement the boat comes to a complete stop in front of this 10 year old child and the ramp of the boat the exit ramp of the boat lets down and the captain of the boat comes to the top of the ramp and this 10 year old boy in a full sprint runs to that ramp and runs up that ramp and says, Daddy, Daddy, thank you for stopping. And that story, my friends, shows and illustrates the audacity of sonship. That's what it means when we finally get the revelation that God is our Father and we ask for the bold things. We ask and just say, God, I know that I'm your son. I know that I don't have what it takes and I know I don't have all the degrees and I know that I don't have all of the intellect and I know that I don't have maybe the skills, but I believe, God, that you've got something incredible. I believe that you have a mission for me, God. I believe that you have a plan for my life, God. And it is to bring you glory, then I don't have the strength. And just like Moses said that, you know, I'm not a good speaker. I've got a speech impediment. And the Lord says, who is it that makes the mouth, Moses? 
It's the Lord. And the Lord is the one that is going to be able to do the impossible. He's the one that is going to use you as a voice and as a mouthpiece and as his hands and his feet to be able to rescue the broken and to be able to to create a great future for your families and to be able to to proclaim the preeminence and the the majesty of Jesus. He's going to be the one to take your body and to take your skill set that you would never be able to do anything good apart from him on your own and that he gives you power and works through you because he's a good father and he wants to do that through your life. That's just the beginning, just the basic elementary introduction into sonship. And I hope this has helped you today. I hope that as you listen to this today, that you allow this to land. And this isn't just for your pastor. This isn't just for the radical guy in your church who, you know, seems to have the closest relationship with God and you kind of look on in awe and watch him run his race. No, this is for you, my friend. This is for you that is listening today, that is going to the average job that's making the average salary that just feels like that life is blah, 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 blah. God wants to encounter you in this way and wants to take you on the greatest adventure and to write you into the greatest story that's ever been told and that you would take your place today in his kingdom and that you would take your position as a son. Bless you guys. I'll see you next week. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.